Hello, listeners. Before we start with this episode, this very special 12 and Up episode, I want to encourage you to take a moment, go to iTunes, rate and like the show, write a comment about it, just do a little bit of that. That only takes about three minutes, three and a half minutes, like three minutes and 43 seconds, give or take. Um, but that really makes a huge difference in sharing um, this show with other people and telling about the show and just getting the word out so other people know about this, what I think is a pretty good show. Thanks. And here's the show. It's 12 and Up, the wilderness episode with your host, Jonathan Malone, and guest host, all the little woodland creatures and the mosquitoes. The woodland creatures and the mosquitoes. 12 and Up is a podcast about Christian faith and culture in the modern age. Your host, Jonathan Malone, is the pastor of the First Baptist Church of East Greenwich, Rhode Island. No guest host. Not woodland creatures, but they don't go to church. They're pagans. And we're back. Now you may be saying, Jonathan, there's no sponsor. Nope, there's no sponsor for this episode. This is a special episode. It's something that I'm going to try to be doing um, every now and again. So a couple of years ago, I was on sabbatical, and I know I've talked about this in other episodes and had guests and such, uh, and that sabbatical was, was very powerful for me. I was able to be in the Adirondack Wilderness in upstate New York for three months, climbing, hiking um, a number of the mountains there, and really just having an amazing time. And, and it was one of those experiences that it's been ta- it's taking a while for it to really sink in on what happened. For a while, I've been telling people something happened. I'm just not sure what. Well, I'm starting to get a sense of what happened. So I've written a lot about it. And what I'll be doing on, this, on these special episodes uh, is sharing some of the writing that I have. Uh, so I hope you enjoy it. And we're gonna, I'm going to start right at the very beginning, uh, the introduction of my wilderness journeys. When I started this journey, I had three months to climb 46 mountains, hike a 135-mile trail, pray, and encounter God in such a profound way that I was supposed to return to the world a renewed, refreshed, and energized person. I had three months to be in the wilderness of the Adirondack Mountains in upstate New York for three to seven days at a time. I would be disconnected from technology, news, and other distractions and working hard to achieve all the tasks that I've just mentioned, praying, hiking, and doing everything else I could to get refreshed. In between trips, I would take two or three days to reconnect with my family, do the obligatory social media posts, and resupply. I would sometimes hike alone, sometimes with a friend, sometimes with family. This is what I had planned and prepared for, to go to the mountains. For three months, I went into the wilderness, and something happened. It was a sabbatical. That's why I went into the wilderness, because I was on sabbatical. I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for 18 plus years. It's a condition that I cannot seem to shake. 
The church that I am currently serving granted me a sabbatical, a break, and it was a true gift from the church community. Maybe some of them saw the wild, crazy look that was emerging from the back of my eyes, or some noticed that my sermons were getting longer and slower and were lacking the energy that they tend to have. Others may have seen the pace that I and most pastors carry, sitting with people in the hospital at the deathbed, leading youth events, Bible studies, church meetings, community meetings, and everything else. Like most other pastors and many other people, I tend to carry a full plate of responsibilities and am glad to do it. But some have noticed that I was getting a little slow. Uh, No one was mean about it. No one said, wow, pastor, you look really tired and haggard and beaten down. But after eight years at the same church and 18 overall years of full-time ministry, the wear and tear begins to show. Hence, the sabbatical. It was a gift to allow me the time to separate, to break the day-to-day rhythm, and to connect with the divine in a different way. It was a call from the church community telling me that they saw that I have a responsibility and a relationship with the church and the broader community, and if I want to live my responsibility out to the fullest, then I have to get away and recharge and reclaim why it is I do what I do. This sabbatical was a gift and a call and a blessing for me to try to gain a sense of balance, of renewal, of harmony with myself, with my family, with the church, and my vocation, and with God. Hence the expectation that the time spent would lead me to a closer, stronger, more connected place with God. Now, if I were smart, I would have gone to a remote beach on a distant island and would have had fancy drinks and eaten more than my fair share of fruits and meats. I have talked to other pastors who have gone to New Zealand or Ireland or Italy. They claim it is to visit holy spots. I know that one pastor went to England to search out the great places of Baptist history in order to connect with our tradition. He was very serious and pious and focused with this plan. But after a sabbatical, I heard about all the different beers he drank in English pubs. See, that's a very smart pastor. This is someone who seems to fully embrace what people expect a pastor to do and still pull something out of it that would be fun and exciting. If I were smart, the least I could have done would have been use the time as a kind of extended vacation. If I were smart and if I were looking for opportunities and ways to relax and get away without doing much, and if all that I felt I needed was to just rest and have a kind of extended vacation but I felt I needed to push myself. I felt that I needed to push my sense of my vocation and my sense of my faith, and I was pulled to the wilderness. In the academic world, the sabbatical is seen as a time to research and publish and make a name for oneself in the world of nerdy folks. This would have been a good direction for me to go as well. I had my feet in the academic world. I have written papers, given presentations, but never made the leap to publishing that book with multiple footnotes per page that would have made me a deep intellectual and given me that academic credibility among a very small circle of people. All the time I spent in school studying and writing and making arguments about minutia would finally amount to something if I focused and worked to publish some great tome of weight and merit. And if I managed to publish something that actually had a discernible impact in the world of Western Christianity... I would be able to start charging higher speaker fees. I would be able to pay off all my debts, my kids to go to college without worry, and it would all be because of the book I wrote while on sabbatical. That would have been a very smart use of the time as well. But instead, I'd look to a summer where I would not be reading or researching or writing anything with academic depth, 
I was pulled into the wilderness. The church gave me a gift of three months to refuel and refresh so that I could continue to be the pastor they had called me to be and that I thought I needed to be. And for some reason, with three months to spend, I decided not to take the luxurious vacation pilgrimage, nor to write the book that would skyrocket me to pastoral fame, but instead to go backpacking. I love hiking, especially in the Adirondacks, six million acres of private and public land in upstate New York. I grew up hiking in those mountains, and in the past couple of years have been returning with friends and family with regularity. In the Adirondacks, there are 46 mountains that are over 4,000 feet in elevation called the High Peaks, or so were thought, but after current surveys, four of them are less than 4,000 feet, and one is not on the official list, yet the traditional list of 46 remains. If one climbs all of the 46 mountains, keeps track of the climbs, and sends the necessary paperwork as well as $10, then one can be registered as a 46er, a not-so-elite and fast-growing group of people who have climbed all of the mountains. I like lists of challenges to complete. I like hiking and backpacking, so it seemed like an obvious thing to do. Spend three months in the wilderness, climb 46 mountains, hike a 135-mile trail, and have a deep and profound moment with God. And something happened. When I was in seminary studying to be a pastor, I had a major crisis of faith. All that book learning that I was pushing to do brought me to a place where I began to question and wonder about my faith and my sense of call. It's it's not that uncommon for one to have such a crisis of faith in the throes of seminary education, and different people work their way through the challenges in different ways. Some ignore it, others look to drinking and other substances, and some take it as a sign that it would be better to leave, go to law school, go into politics, make gobs of money. I decided to go into the wilderness. It took two months to hike a significant portion of the Appalachian Trail. Back then, I was in a place of struggle, and the wilderness helped me to find and claim a sense of clarity. I'd gone into the wilderness before, and it was a profound and moving experience. That may have been what a part of what was calling me for this journey. I wanted to have a sense that I was on a journey and wanted it to be in the wilderness. The experience of being on a journey was significant for me. I had a goal a place that I wanted to get to so that I could claim that the entire time was a success. Yet aside from some trails here and there, the Adirondacks do not offer something that would take three months to traverse. There's not one long trail. Hence the challenge of climbing the 46 peaks. Those mountains gave me a goal and a sense of journey, a trek, even if I was not going from just point A to point B. I would still have a purpose and a focus for the summer. I was going to set off to climb all the mountains and hike the 135-mile-long Northville Placid Trail for extra kicks. I loved and looked forward to the opportunity to go into the wilderness. I was pulled to immerse myself into the wilderness, to be among the mountains, to reach for the goal of climbing all the peaks. No beach, no exotic journey to a foreign country, no isolated writer's cabin. I was going to go into the wilderness where I would struggle and hurt, and I was looking to encounter God. I was hoping to make space for God, and I was pulled to the wilderness. This was going to be hard. We may think that moments of the divine revelation should happen without much work, 
And I'm not sure how often one is interrupted in the mundane moments of life with brilliant revelations from God offering direction or hope or comfort. I'm not sure how often God speaks to someone when they are lounging on the beach, resting, relaxing, and enjoying refreshments with little umbrellas. I'm not one to say what God can and cannot do. Maybe some connect best with God when relaxed. But even then, you need to make space. Those little umbrellas, they'll distract you. We need to make space to connect, to listen, to connect in a purposeful way with the divine. Even as a pastor, I recognize that it is easy for the mundane to get in the way of encountering God. This was a large part of why I felt that pull to go into the wilderness, to make space, to step out of the mundane, to look and listen. But the wilderness can become mundane. If I'm in the wilderness, it is supposed to be so different from the norm that I should be able to just open myself up and hear a voice speaking through the clouds telling me whatever it is that God thinks I need to hear. Yet, just as with the mundane aspects of life, when then in the wilderness, I can become too connected with the mundane tasks, the responsibilities of the day-to-day, and to neglect to make time for the divine. The trees all start to look the same. The tasks of cooking and cleaning and setting up camp and taking down camp have become the normal, and I can stop listening. If there is not a disciplined format and structure to create that that sacred space, then one may not even think of God except those rare occasions when the weather is perfect, the scenery is perfect, and you are feeling perfect, and then you can breathe deep and say to the person next to you, boy, it really makes you think. And even then, perhaps not. I need to be deliberate with my spirituality. So, with each mountain that I would climb, with each peak I ascended, I would be deliberate and take time to pray. I would set my timer for five minutes. Otherwise, I would only be spending like 30 seconds and figuring in that was five minutes and then fidget a lot and then move on to the next thing and would not have given any real time or focus to God's presence in the here and now. I needed to set my timer for five minutes and to breathe and pray. And the prayers that I would sit with would be from the great Christian saints of history, Augustine, Spurgeon, Wesley, Teresa of Avila, Aquinas, Kelvin, and others. These may not be the best hiking companions, but they're good guides. Each of them have been on a spiritual journey in one way or another. They have wrestled and questioned and wondered and doubted, and it would be wise for me to follow their lead. I would be resting on their wisdom and their experience, even in one prayer, to guide me in my own spiritual journey, and hopefully that would be enough. I had three months to climb all those peaks, to hike a 135-mile trail, to encounter God, and I worried that what I was intending to do would not be enough. I felt so much pressure to come out of my sabbatical with a sense that I have achieved something and wanted to make sure that I did. I wanted to justify the time away to the church members, to my family, to myself. I did not want anyone to think that I was taking the time for granted. I was going to work hard to make sure that it was a religious experience. I was going to work hard to make sure that it was a time that was restful and refueling. I was determined to bring God into the experience, whether God wanted it or not, whether I wanted it or not. Three months to climb 46 mountains and hike a 135-mile trail and to pray and connect with God. On this side of the journey, I've become used to the number of questions that 
although asked by different people, continue to resound again and again. Are you crazy? What if something happened? Isn't it dangerous? And what did you find? Well, I am crazy. I believe it's a professional necessity, and anyone who has been involved in church work for any amount of time would agree. I'm sure it's dangerous, but more, no more dangerous than anything else. Or at least this is what I would tell myself. I don't think enough about the dangers when I go into the wilderness, and probably I should. Uh, with, the, with each trip, I would stop and sign a trail met register and then start. I would not think about all the things that could happen and everything that could go wrong. All I would think about was getting to the next place, the campsite for the evening, so I could have supper. For me, it was no more dangerous than walking to the store to buy milk. <laughs> On this side of the experience, I have come to realize that there was a danger that I did not anticipate. I'm not just speaking of the danger of being deep in the wilderness with bears and birds and insects and other creatures who may or may not be plotting against me. I did have plenty of encounters with bears, and one encounter is plenty, and I had twice that many, and encounters with birds and insects and all cr other creatures, all intent on killing me or at least making sure my stay in the wilderness was inconvenient as possible. But that's not the danger I'm speaking to. Nor am I speaking about encountering difficulties in the weather while trekking through the mud or climbing over rocks or trying to get through a day with a limited supply of water. I mean, these are real, tangible dangers in the wilderness. But they are not the dangers that scare me most. The wilderness is dangerous. And I found this on the other side of the journey. Because when you are in the woods, there is a part of yourself that you may find and that may, may not be as easy to discover or engage in the world. And this can be scary. There's something that comes out that emerges in the wilderness. For those of us who find carrying a 40 to 50 pound pack on their back, going deep into the wilderness, walking along difficult and muddy trails, struggling up mountains, around trees, getting rained upon, shivering and sweating, there's something about ourselves that we find in the wilderness that seems otherwise hidden in the world. It is something that emerges not just when we are watching the sun sink behind the mountains, when we are watching the clouds break over a crystal lake, when we hear the call of the loon or the great horned owl. It is something that's hidden in the world, that's silenced in civilization. It is life that is fuller, freer. And when you find it, there is danger. You're different out here, Dad, I remember my son saying to me on one of my trips. I was smiling, I was joking, I was chatting with other hikers who we happened to come along, and I thought I was being normal and natural. But my son noticed that I was different. If we were at a coffee shop or a restaurant, I would tell him to not bother other people. I would keep to myself. I would be a little more stern to make sure that he and anyone else in my care were acting in a way that was appropriate and acceptable. Conform and hide. Conform and go along. Conform and don't create a scene. I would not just go up to a table of people enjoying time together and ask where they were headed and what they had encountered that day. We would not ask to join them and offer whatever food we had. Get in the mountains as I would come upon a group of people taking a break, sharing a snack. I would invite myself into their community, sit down with them, share my snack with them, invite my son into the conversation and the community without a formal invitation. I made jokes with other hikers, commenting on their gear, on their pain looks as they shouldered their packs, and offering my sense of pain so that no one felt alone. All my son had to say was, You're different out here, Dad. And he was right. <laughs>
He saw what was happening. He was not afraid of what the wilderness was doing. And on this side of the experience, I am beginning to see, I am beginning to understand that something more was happening. And that scares me. It is not the totality of self that one finds that makes being in the wilderness dangerous. There may be parts of who I am that does not emerge as obviously when I am in the wilderness. That part of myself that I cherish, that part of myself that is true to my essence and that feels natural, comfortable, and good is what I believe I found in the wilderness. Being in the wilderness can call that hidden, suppressed part of yourself out. This alone is good and worth the experience and is not what makes the wilderness dangerous. The danger is that in the wilderness so many of us find an invitation to live fully and completely, but when you leave, what do you do when you return to the world? What do you do with the true essence, the true persona that you find among the trees and the mountains when you are back among civilization? It is easy to allow that aspect of yourself and that part of the wilderness experience to get lost in the moment and to just happen in the moment, and then when you return to the world, to silence, to extinguish that part of the self that had brought such life. It feels too easy to shift from fully living to half-living, walking but not fully awake, because the true self needs to be silent in the world, and this is dangerous. I will not say that I found myself, but I found something that is essential to who I am. And there have been witnesses my sons and brothers, my friends and strangers had all been witnesses to that part of myself that is true, to that degree I'd been hiding. And yet I still feel the, pearl, the pull and the urge to be silent back in the world. This is what is dangerous. When we are in the wilderness, there is something that we find, something that makes us feel whole. And finding, experiencing, and living in such a full way can be dangerous because it is not something that we can continue back in the world. The danger is not so much finding who I am, but leaving a, that part of myself in the wilderness when I return to the world. I encounter something of myself that I believe is a key part of who I am in totality. In writing this reflection, I am hoping that I will be able to articulate with more depth and deliberate, deliberateness what it is that I found in the wilderness. I am still coming to understand who it was that I encountered but I've come to realize that this aspect of myself is important. This essential and important part of myself can easily get left behind, and that is dangerous. A dichotomy is created when one assumes that only in the wilderness can one be truly free and truly live, and that in the world I am struggling and suffering. In the dichotomy, the forced choice is to toil through life in the world, constantly looking and yearning for the next opportunity to return to the wilderness and only then, for a brief moment of time, to truly live. I've met a number of people who go into the mountains in the, in the winter. This is a different kind of crazy. I read in one lean-to journal about being in the mountains when it was 14 degrees outside during the day with promise that it was going to get much colder at night. Now, this is a different kind of crazy that speaks to what it is that many people find in the wilderness. There is a certain kind of insanity to hiking in frigid cold and snow. There is also a kind of insanity to keeping a part of yourself silent for all winter months. To find a part of yourself that is true in the wilderness and then to silence it back in the world feels like a kind of self-inflicted exile. This is a different kind of crazy as well. I understand hiking in the winter because the wait for the spring is too long, and to stay silent for that long runs up against insanity. 
The majority of the community that enjoys hiking and backpacking will not become hermits and perhaps feel as if this dichotomy of personality and living is a choice that they will have to embrace. They will not live in the wilderness for extended periods of time, but will go, will be alive while hiking and camping, and then return to the world. But only a part of them will return, and the part that is truly alive is left in the wilderness waiting for the return and the wholeness of life again, if only for a moment. Is this really living? Before this journey, I was not even going into the wilderness in order to live. Now that I have, and I have seen how I can be alive in the wilderness in a way that I am not elsewhere, I understand the deep danger of the wilderness. The wilderness is dangerous because it made obvious to me that I am dividing, bifurcating, and never truly living. As my son noticed, I am different. It is not as bad as someone who is only alive when the needle is in the arm and the drugs are flowing, but there is a similarity. One only lives in the moments of fixes and the moments of escape, and the world is not fully living. I cannot explain the allure of the pain and the struggle, the draw of the aches and the blisters of being far away from civilization and assistance and the joy in meeting total strangers who are sharing the same experiences. For some, this kind of living is insanity, but for others, it is life-giving. I cannot explain those experiences that make being in the world that much more difficult. Those who run to the wilderness, who find the wilderness life-giving, get a little more reserved. We get a little more introspective when in the world, because we cannot explain what it is we find, and we know that on many levels, it does not make sense. But when we pull back and share less and find ourselves daydreaming of when we are going to get our next fix, we are not truly living. This is dangerous, because if I am not fully living, then at best, I am maintaining a half-existence, and at worst, I am partially dying. I had three months to climb 46 mountains and hike a 135-mile-long trail and to find God. In that time, something happened. In the wilderness, something happened, but I'm not sure what. And I'm not sure what to do with whatever happened to me now that I'm back in the world. I was recently talking with another pastor. He told me he took his time in his sabbatical to consider if he should stay with the church if he was serving over was time to move on to other churches and to other pastures to pastor. Wasn't that clever? He told me that at the end of his sabbatical time, he was clear he needed to stay with his church. He had found something specific, something he can point to and say, here's what I found. I cannot point to anything and say, this is what I found. I cannot point to a scar and a bruise and say, this is what happened. As something happened. Something was different. But I'm not sure what. I was looking to connect with God and to have that kind of assurance after the time was done that would have been affirming. I would have been happy with a bright shining light telling me that I needed to go to a new line of work or revealing to me some deep insider truth about humanity, existence, and all that is. I would have been happy with a woodland creature talking to me, telling me to turn back, to embrace my inner child, or something like that. It would have been a great story to tell if any of those things had happened. But that's not what I found. None of those things happened. But something did happen. 
I say that the wilderness is dangerous, but cannot really, really say why. I say that something happened to me in those three months, but cannot really say what. And yet out of these vague and nebulous thoughts, I still am attempting to share. I have to share. I need to share. It's a part of my profession, a part of my vocation. It's a part of my own process of discovery. I am a preacher, a proclaimer of good news. I have a congregation that gave me the time and the space to journey in the wilderness for these three months to climb all the mountains, and I feel a sense of obligation to them to share. Every time someone from the congregation would ask me if it was worthwhile and if I got what I was needed, I hear, was it worth it for us? And in the breath between hearing the question and giving the answer, I realized that I do not know if it was worthwhile or if I got what I needed. I smile and I say it was profound, it was powerful, but I'm not sure how to share. How do I tell someone what it was that happened when I'm not even sure? For months after the journey, I've been telling others that something happened in the mountains. I'm sure something happened, but I'm not sure what, and I have to share. It is in the sharing that I discover. It is in the somewhat egotistical endeavor that I begin to really get what it is that I'm struggling with. Each Sunday, I offer a sermon that is supposed to be for the people and guiding and comforting and sure, and each Sunday, I offer something that is a part of my own struggles and questions and hurt. I bring in the experiences of others. I try to allow the divine to move and guide me, but I am also discovering something about myself as I share. Even if no one is ever going to read or hear this, I would still write it and say it because there's something to discover, and it's through the sharing that I hope to find it. Just as the wilderness is dangerous, there is a dangerous in trying to share about the wilderness. So often when one is trying to share about the experience, about the allure, about the love of the experience, we too quickly and too easily fall to drivel, to trite metaphors about the path being life, about the struggle up the mountain being like getting through the challenges of life. In such quick and easy efforts to explain why it is that people hike and backpack, the description of the hiking and the backpacking experience becomes a tired metaphor that one would find at motivational speakers' events, and much is still left in the wilderness. This easy, quick effort to share is dangerous because it diminishes the overall experience. It detracts from what it is that we find in the wilderness, and it does a disservice to those who yearn to understand and to share in the emotional depth and power of the experience. It is not sharing who you are, who it is about yourself that you find in the wilderness, and everyone is left wanting. I need to share as if I am still there in the wilderness, showing who it was that climbed those mountains and hiked the trail and encountered God. I need to bring the fullness of myself in my sharing, the person I encounter in the wilderness and the world. Some may wonder if the bifurcation of personality between the wilderness and the world is a problem at all. Some may say that the world demands a certain level of conformity to survive, and that in order to survive the pressures of conformity, it is important to have the opportunity to be different and truly live in the wilderness. Being in the wilderness is a time of recharging, a time of refreshing, so that being in the world is possible to endure. This is a premise that I do not accept. Authenticity is important, even vital to truly living and fully living life. I believe that the person we are in the wilderness should be the person we are in life. This is authenticity. This is fully honoring the life that you have. If being in the wilderness is something that feeds you, then why keep that part of who you are silent? 
Why hide your true self when it hurts so much to do so? We need to share and live the life that we find when we are deep among the trees and the lakes and the mountains and in the best and most authentic way that we can when we are in the world. Yet if I am to do this well, if I am going to do this in a way that will allow life to be fully experienced and shared, then this sharing and telling and living needs to be done carefully and cautiously so that I do not offer a tired and watered-down explanation of what my wilderness experience is and who it is I find in the wilderness. And this can be, and often, is dangerous. So it is with caution and hesitation, as well as optimism and hope, that I share what it is that I found in the wilderness. If I stay silent, then I am actively participating in my own death, real or existential, and this is a sin. If I speak quickly and take the easy way out, offering the obvious analogy or reflection that is shallow and thin, then I am diminishing my own experience. This is also a sin. It is out of necessity that I share because I have been in the wilderness and I am in the world, and I desperately want to fully live in both, and sharing is a way that I can. I spent three months in the wilderness, climbed 46 mountains, hiked a 135-mile trail, and something happened. Something important and life-changing happened, and it is with a great deal of humility that I share what it is I found in the wilderness. It is my hope that the reader or listener moves with me towards an understanding of why it is that I hike and what it is that I look to find. I hope that the reader is challenged to consider what it is that feeds him or her, what it is that helps in living. This needs not be hiking or backpacking, but something. I also write with necessity and humility because I recognize that from my journeys there is much that I've missed, much that I still do not see, and I hope others will find revelations that I have yet to discover. I share because something happened in the wilderness, and if I do not talk about it, if I do not tell the stories, then I do not think I will ever really know what it is that happened. So I'm offering to you a sort of journal of my experience. I'm not going to give a chronological telling of the journal, but rather a thematic one that will carry you through many of the challenges and joys that I experienced in the wilderness. I'm offering pseudo-journal entries that I am creating retrospectively, connecting the themes with the experiences that I encountered. I do not have an actual journal to work from that gives me a day-to-day -day accounting of my journey. Why in the wilderness, I found that I am not great at keeping a journal. Even when I have nothing to read and I am alone and have nothing else to do, I was not great at writing things down. I would try to write, but the thoughts would get sloppy. I would get tired. My reflections would become trite. I would not be able to read what I wrote. I have chronological blog posts that I posted after each trip for those who want that version of the story. These offer a first-glance surface experiences, but they don't really speak to what I found. The blog posts, the notes that I did write are the immediate reflections, but they do not go much deeper. They do not speak to the why or in what way. When looking for the fullness of what I experienced and found, I believed I needed to step back and look at the overall experience as well as the particular experiences. I need to look at the various struggles and joys that I had multiple times and ask, what was it about those moments and challenges that shaped me in this journey? What I will offer are the entries that start with my experiences. 
At the end of each entry, I will offer one of the prayers that I carried with me in the wilderness, along with the name of the mountain where I originally sat with that prayer, or the day on the 135-mile trail. Many of the prayers would not be shared, but not all. In total, I sat with 57 prayers, which is enough to be a manuscript of their own. Now, the prayers offer a context to the journey and a different invitation into the experience that I am trying to share. In this retrospective telling, I hope that you may climb some of the same mountains I did, hike with the same personalities, have similar experiences more than once, but with a different lens and a different perspective. And I hope that you find the prayers bless you. And you'll meet people I journeyed with and will know them through their trail names. Trail names are used in part to capture who the various people were for me in the journey and used in part to protect their reputation. The people shape the wilderness experience, and it is important that you get to know the people that I encountered on the trail. And by and large, they were a blessing in different ways. Three months, 46 mountains, one 135-mile trail, and a desire to find and encounter God. In the wilderness, I was different, and something happened. On the other side of the sabbatical journey, I do not know if I can say that I have found harmony or God or renewal or what I have found. And this is why I'm writing, so that I can continue to examine and discover and find sanctuary from the degree and the danger of the wilderness and get a sense of what it was that happened. I know that the experience was good, albeit difficult, scary, frustrating, and painful. I know that the time was blessed and that in the experience I was blessed. And I do not want to leave that goodness and blessing in the wilderness. I went into the wilderness looking to be shaped and challenged and blessed by God. I leave the wilderness now looking back for those blessings, wanting to hold on to them so that they can continue to bless me and so that I can offer them to you. Something happened in the wilderness in those three months of hiking and climbing among those 46 mountains and 135-mile trail. Something happened, and I'm not sure what. I was supposed to find God and experience God in a profound way. Something happened. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I I plan on reading the next sections. I'm offering them to you in bits and pieces. It's just too much for one episode. And that might have been a lot, even as it was. Uh, But let me know what you thought about that. You know, I'm going to still be doing the other parts of the show that I usually do, having other guests on, talking about scripture and you know, deep conversations, what you into, all that stuff. That that I'll keep doing. Um, but I wanted to try to offer this as well, uh, something a little bit different. And as you can see, as you heard, something I think I, I really just need to do. Let me know. You know. Let me know what you thought about it. You can send your comments to 12enough at gmail.com. 12enough is written out. Um, you, know, you can go to the Facebook page and leave a comment on the Facebook page. That's Facebook slash 12enough. Uh, and go to the show page. Go to 12enough.com where you find information about this show. You can also find information about the hikes that I've been leading now in the wilderness under Wilderness Journeys. Uh, and if you live in the Rhode Island or the greater New England area, sign up for our Faith Farm Ride. and leading a bike ride with some others, an interfaith bike ride throughout Rhode Island to different farms. Maybe that'll be a podcast. Eh, probably not. That's too much for me to do. So let me know what you thought about this episode. If you say, Jonathan, that's enough. Please don't read any more. Or say, well, what happened? Tell us about the bear. It'll come. 
I'll get there. But let me know. And as always, thank you very much for listening.